Hello, in this week's show, UN humanitarians remind us of the likely heavy cost of the Ukraine crisis, while on other continents, a new biotechnology hub to make COVID vaccines and more opens in South Korea. And African nations take stock one year after coronavirus vaccines started arriving there via the UN-partnered COVAX initiative. We'll also take a look at a striking new exhibition on disability awareness raising from the UN Population Fund, launched on and below the streets of Oslo, with inspirational comments from a disability activist from Ecuador with cerebral palsy. She's been speaking to our regular guest, Solange Bejetegui-Cortez, who I'm delighted to say is with us again today. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. First, the news. Amid reports of people fleeing en masse from the Ukrainian capital Kiev after Russia's invasion, UN humanitarians have warned of the devastating consequences of military action. The development follows a flurry of diplomatic activity before and after the escalation, as UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres on Thursday night reiterated that although the action violated the UN Charter and the death toll was rising, it was not irreversible. Earlier, UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Michelle Bachelet called for an immediate end to the hostilities. On Thursday, UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Michelle Bachelet called for an immediate end to the hostilities. This military action clearly violates international law and puts at risk countless civilian lives, she said. It must be immediately halted. And she cited reports of strikes near major cities including Kharkiv, Kramatorsk, Odessa, Mariupol and the capital Kiev. The protection of the civilian population must be a priority. The use of explosive weapons in populated areas should at all costs be avoided, the High Commissioner added. Meanwhile, UN Refugee Agency Chief Philippa Grandi insisted that civilian lives and infrastructure must be protected and safeguarded at all times, in line with international humanitarian law. Echoing that message, the UN Children's Fund UNICEF said that it was deeply concerned for the lives and well-being of Ukraine's 7.5 million children. UNICEF Chief Catherine Russell noted that heavy weapons fire along the contact line in the east of the country had already damaged critical water infrastructure and education facilities in recent days. Unless the fighting subsides, tens of thousands of families could be forcibly displaced, dramatically escalating humanitarian needs, Ms Russell warned. She reminded that the past eight years of conflict have inflicted profound and lasting damage to children on both sides of the line of contact. The children of Ukraine need peace desperately now, she said. In other news, the World Health Organization announced that a cutting-edge biomanufacturing hub has been created in the Republic of Korea. It'll help countries produce their own vaccines using the latest mRNA technology to manufacture COVID-19 vaccines. The development announced on Wednesday follows the successful establishment of a similar hub in South Africa. The new hub, based outside Seoul, will serve all low- and middle-income countries wishing to produce vaccines, insulin, monoclonal antibodies and cancer treatments. Bangladesh, Indonesia, Pakistan and Vietnam are among those to receive the life-saving technological know-how. In other COVID news, in Africa, Thursday the 24th of February marked one year since the first COVID-19 vaccines reached the continent from the UN-partnered COVAX scheme. So far, 400 million doses have been administered in Africa, beginning in Ghana and Côte d'Ivoire, the WHO said, although vaccination rates on the continent remain among the weakest in the world. 
but supply challenges have now been overcome and Africa has regular coronavirus vaccine deliveries, WHO said, noting that 90% of COVAX orders to the continent have been fulfilled in the last six months. Headlines there, and now to this week's interview, which follows the Global Disability Summit in Oslo, which was where UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres called for all countries to do more to put people with disabilities front and centre of their post COVID recovery plans. People with disabilities have been dying at vastly higher rates, Mr Guterres said in his keynote last week, all because they faced persistent barriers in health systems. The UN Population Fund, UNFPA, meanwhile, said that women with disabilities were up to ten times more likely to experience sexual violence. To raise awareness about this and other issues affecting people with disabilities, UNFPA has launched a super exhibition. It's called Wanted, a world for one billion. It features people with disabilities, including Irena Vararezo Cordova from Ecuador. She has cerebral palsy, and for her, the exhibition was a chance to explain what's important. Let's hear from her now. My body tells the world, I have movements that I can't control, but I'm here. I want to be here, and I want this world to change, because there are more girls who maybe never saw themselves represented in a doll, who never associated with a character on TV or in a politician who has involuntary movements. So that's Irena Vararezo Cordova from Ecuador, who, as I say, features in the UNFPA exhibition Wanted, a world for one billion. And to talk more about it, I spoke to the fund's Leila Sharafi as the Global Disability Summit got underway. First of all, I want to say that we really wanted to bring out in this exhibit not all of the challenges and the barriers. Of course, we want to talk about that, but we wanted to showcase this exhibit as one that is empowering and really shows that persons with disabilities around the world are already change agents. They're making tremendous changes in their communities and in their lives and really are role models for persons with disabilities and people in general. They're wonderful, powerful people. So we wanted to use that narrative of empowered individuals, which really is important for changing people's perceptions about persons with disabilities. And if you visit the exhibit, you'll see stories of people like Hajj or Irene or Anchita and Bastina. And these are advocates, activists, and ordinary people who are just doing amazing things in their lives. And as you said, they're from Morocco, Mozambique, and Ecuador. You know, you'll hear from Bastina, who's from Mozambique, and she's a young woman living with albinism. And oftentimes they face some of the most difficult stereotypes and risks because of misconceptions about persons with albinism. And You mean real life dangers, that... don't you? Attacks, in fact. In many cases, Correct. people yes, with albinism exactly. are attacked. Yes. Exactly. Some of them are attacked or um, sought out for sometimes even their body parts for rituals. And, you know, there's just a lot of misconceptions and ideas about persons with albinism being cursed. Or you'll hear from Hajj, who is really an amazing athlete and has talked a lot about in the exhibit about the importance of hard work and support and family. And the same for Jose Miguel, who's a young man that you'll see in the exhibit, who talks about the fact that 
he owns his body, right? And bodily autonomy and how important that is to him. And he makes his decisions about his life and when he will decide to get married and the fact that he does want to get married. So we really hope that these kinds of stories will be inspiring for the viewers. Yes, I thought, was it Miguel? I thought he was very honest, actually, about not knowing exactly what he wanted. He just wanted the choice to be able to do so. I guess one final question is how then... If most people with disabilities have challenges in developing countries, the poorer countries, how are we going to A, include them in the conversation and B, where is the money going to come from for this? Well, we know that the principle of participation is a critical element of what we call the human rights-based approach. Persons with disabilities have coined this phrase, nothing about us without us. And this is a very powerful term. It really, it exemplifies the fact that People with disabilities don't want any decisions to be made without them involved, without them at the core and without them really co-creating. So participation is critical. It's really important for governments to really step up. The Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities is a convention that many countries have signed on to and have made commitments to implementing. And so because of that, it's critical that the, the funding and the resourcing does come from the member states, as we call them in the UN, from the governments themselves. But we also see private sector really stepping up and creating a lot of opportunities for persons with disabilities, whether that be, you know, in employment or just making sure that they recruit more persons with disabilities, have reasonable accommodation funds in place to make sure that if you do hire people with disabilities, there's funding there or money there to help them with any accommodation needs they might have. So I think the money is there. It's just a matter of making sure that they are a priority. And I guess, you know, finally, on that same note, this is only the second global disability summit, isn't it? Which is almost shameful in 2022. So what have been the positive concrete outcomes of the summit that's just to finish now? It is only the second summit. You're absolutely right. And it's another reason why UNFPA really wanted to make sure that we shined a light on the importance of this issue and how the rights of persons with disabilities haven't been prioritized enough. I think the summit is a very important opportunity to bring together very high level representation from across the governments of the world and civil society in one common space. What we saw is that many actors who participated made new commitments or renewed their commitments that they had made in London in 2018 at the first summit. And what we're really hoping is that this doesn't become just another set of commitments, but actual implementation and dedication of resources, as you very rightly said, Daniel, that's critical. So we're hoping that these commitments won't remain empty, but will actually be funded and see real action for persons with disabilities around the world. My thanks to Leila Sharafi from the UN Population Fund. And let me turn to our regular guest, Solange Bejartege Cortez, who's been listening back to Leila and Leila's comments. Hi, Sol. Hola, Dan. ¿Cómo estás? In Lazarillo de Tormes, the most famous book in Spanish literature after Don Quixote, the blind beggar is a selfish and deceitful character who beats his apprentice supposedly to educate him. In Treasure Island, John Silver, surely the most famous peg-led pirate, is also the most treacherous person in the novel. But perhaps 
one of the most common stereotypes of people with disabilities is the victim, a character who is presented as a helpless object of pity or sympathy. John Merrick in The Elephant Man is an example of disabled character whose disability is used by the author to earn the reader's sympathy. The victim stereotype has been also used in comedy. Remember Mr. Magoo's blindness or Forrest Gump's intellectual disability? In fact, when we infantilize a disabled person or treat them with pity, we ourselves are victims of prejudice, ignorance, and fear. After hearing Leila from the UN Population Fund, and after talking to Irene in Ecuador, I realized that the crisis of representation is even worse when we compare literature with reality. How many disabled people today are working in decision-making positions? Not many, that is for sure. The exhibition that we just heard about presents powerful images and stories of persons with disabilities that encourage us to change our perception of them. It seems obvious to say it, but they are not children, but women and men with rights and desires. Their bodies talk to us and we have to hear their voices. Women like Irene are changing the narrative and we have to learn to read it. A final word, Daniel, just to remind us that Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra wrote Don Quixote with only one arm. Jose Luis Borges was blind and the Irish poet and painter Christy Brown had cerebral palsy that did not prevent him from writing and painting with his left foot. We have to respect disabled people, not because of their condition, but simply because they are persons. We have to learn to see, to hear, and to read the new narratives. Thank you so much, Sol. And that is really part of the inclusive message of the United Nations. Thank you too for speaking to Irene all the way over in Ecuador in Spanish. And listeners, if you want to hear that interview, which is full of, I mean, great enthusiasm and passion, it's, it's a great story, please go to ONU Noticias and the Audio Hub where you can listen to it in full. Also, to see the exhibition, search online for UNFPA and the title of the show, which is Wanted, A World for One Billion, and it should come up in a flash. <laughs> That is it from me. Thank you very much for being with us this week. We'll be back next week. Until then, enjoy your weekend. Bye-bye for now. Ciao, Daniel. Bye-bye. Adios. Hasta la próxima. Bye.